0: Today's show is brought to you by Coingaming and Permission.io. We'll hear more about those later on in the episode. All right. Hey, everyone, I'm Charlie Shrem, and this is Untold Stories, where twice a week we dive deep with some of crypto's most influential leaders, past, present and future, to figure out how this movement came to be and where the hell are we going? Well, actually, today, I'm really fortunate to do a show where there was not much, re- not much research that needed to be done. Tatiana Moroz, you've been in the crypto space, oh my God, so long. You're like ready to, to like, like me, like we're done. We're, we've been in it 10 years almost. Um, I'm really happy to have you on the show to highlight what you've done, what you're currently doing uh, in the space, and you've not like stopped. And just to give everyone a little bit of background, you- when you joined the the industry, I just want to give a little bit of background. The Now, I'm not going to say the industry, the space or like crypto or Bitcoin. Like we're talking about, you know, years ago, it was still very, and I don't know if I've ever, like, we've never, like, uh, I've never told you about this. So, like, do you remember when we met Woody Harrelson together like six, seven years ago too on the street oh, that day? Oh, yeah, that
1: was a long time ago. I, I totally forgot about
0: that. I was under house arrest. in
1: the streets in New York?
0: Yeah, we've known each other for such a long time, but oh, this is something God. that I've never told you. When you joined the industry, the industry was, I keep saying industry, the, the space or the, the forums, right? The chat groups. The industry was really just filled with a bunch of these like uh, nerds and geeks and artists, you know, artisans or whatever, but it was very male dominated. And so when, when you joined, you're coming from that liberty movement, which is already like for years, very like male dominated and breaking through the glass ceiling you've performed with. I've met you through like uh, Ron Paul and, you know, Judge Napolitano and, you know, everyone in the libertarian world and the liberty scene. When you came into crypto, you were one of the only people willing to say the things that no one else was talking about. And we're friends on Facebook and you continue to push the envelope to a point where, like, I almost wonder sometimes, are you trolling people? Are you serious? You see where I'm getting at with this? So I guess...
1: It's like you have to have a naturally curious mind. And I think that that's very helpful in this community. Right. And uh, I've always done music. Right. Uh, But as time has gone on, I've taken, you know, I have the Tatiana show and I've been interviewing people. And I mean, I think that, you know, music is a bit of an intellectual pursuit, just like cryptocurrency is and, and Liberty in general, these things all kind of flow together. And so Uh, it's been really nice to be able to get exposed to so many different ideas. And I think that, you know, I get to ask really questions of, of the experts because I've got that music angle. So people feel like they can relate to the music side a little bit more. Let's say a person that's not necessarily as technically inclined. Uh, they can feel comfortable with me because I'm not trying to pretend that I'm some technical genius. Uh, but yeah, it's been, it's been a lot of fun talking with people and, I guess some questions are a little bit trolly, but um, I mean, isn't that kind of the point of social media? You're supposed to kind of get a lot of opinions, hopefully not kill each other, (laughs) which is lately the
0: vibe. Yeah, I know. It's it's really kind of sad with the whole election world that that uh, we're going through right now. And it seems like people have forgotten to put they're putting like kind of party over country and everyone's really, really, really. Polarized on what's been going on in the world of of the day when you when you first got into uh, when you first got into crypto, you approached it in a very like content media marketing culture world when that world didn't exist yet in crypto, and that's kind of what I was getting at in those days. So I remember it was very much so internet chat room based, and then here you are bringing this like fresh world to it. And you, wrote, you started to write songs. And I remember you came out, uh, you've been running the Tatiana Show for so long and kind of bringing out the culture and the ideology behind that. Do you feel like that's important for an industry?
1: I think it's important for an industry like this one. Um, I think that it's not really just an industry. I think it's- What are almost we? What like do we call shared us? ideology, right? We're almost like religious zealots, right? Oh, no. And uh, we in are. order to keep so, pushing forward, are. or a cult, <laughs> we are. But I think it's like a good cult. It's a cult based in math, right, and economics. Um, but yeah, I think that that um, emotional component and that spirit is extremely important. I actually am a little bit disheartened as the space mm-hmm. has become more mainstream. That it's like there's a really big shift where all of a sudden you have to hide your libertarian freak flag again. And I really liked letting it fly. You know, it was nice to be able to not have people just automatically look down on my views, um, which happens when you're dealing with just mainstream political discourse. Uh, with crypto, it became popular to have a little bit of that libertarian uh, fire. And I think that that's uh, more important now than ever. You know, you have the, the choice between this guy and that guy, and they're not, neither is, that compelling necessarily, but uh principle is, is more important than ever. So I'm happy to be able to kind of represent that view. I think if I was on the more corporate side, I would have to be a little bit more uh, reserved in terms of expressing that. But I do think that I speak for a lot of people in the crypto space and, and what brought us together is like a love of freedom and Sarah, a desire for decentralization.
0: That, that fire, that love that you're talking about is what got you involved, got me involved, got even people like Brian Armstrong from Coinbase involved in, in those early years. And you're right. I am disheartened. It's one of the reasons I started this show is because I felt that the history and the culture behind where we started was being lost. And I'm almost worried because a lot of people look at crypto today and they count, they're, they're counting its success. We're not even 10 years old. We're successful, yes. But if we don't remember where we are com- where we came from and what that fire and what that vision is, we won't know where we're going. And while it's great now, five or six years from now, the industry is gonna look back on itself or hell, even two years from now, and it's gonna say, what's the point? Who are we? Why are we here?
1: Yeah, I don't know if we can really control that outcome very much though. You know what I mean? Things are just getting adopted and now you have people who previously would kind of scoff at, a central bank issued currency, you know, clamoring to be a part of it. Um, I had a earlier interview and we were talking about KYC for the DeFi space. I mean, those things don't necessarily go well together. Um, but I think it's a little bit inevitable. Um, I'm glad that you've been trying to take some of the stories that kind of got us going and share them with people because that history, I think, is really important. And I don't think that new people are necessarily exposed to that. Even, you know, they might not know who some of the OGs are. And somebody told me that the that the Asian market is calling the OGs the grandpas. I'm like, well, well oh, hold no. On
0: okay, <laughs> I this don't is, want to the grandpa. I'm gonna break it down for everyone in a very in very few seconds. This industry, every other industry in the whole entire world that we look at today, even so much so as like the internet as we know it today. The internet, yes, was started by groups of tinkerers and everything like that. But the real industry wasn't really started until like 10, 20, 30 years after the tinkerers were using that. The Bitcoin industry was created within days of Bitcoin's existence. The first services and within that provided uh, a type of like grease and oil to allow the ind- you know people to start transacting and using this thing. It wasn't started by corporations. It was started by Tatiana. Tatiana, you were the one doing marketing for some of the largest wallets back in the day, I remember, uh, for Jack's Wallet and some others. It wasn't started by guys like me, Charlie, who was running these companies out of our parents' basement. So the industry was starting by, by individual people who were doing these things for, uh, the, for ourselves and our friends and family. And then kind of like the companies came involved. The good thing about that is that these companies have brought in a lot of these people, and it continues to bring that flavor um but what can we do? Can we start a Bitcoin museum, a crypto museum uh, as one has anyone ever started one? do you think
1: you know what at one point there was supposed to be a crypto art museum. I think that vesa uh the artist um he's from one of the Nordic countries over there, but Vesa he was going to start one. I don't know what ever happened to it. you know I think. Uh, a lot of us were a little bit too bullish when everything started to go downward and mm. it took a really big um a lot of the wind out of the sails of the industry you know people had less disposable income back in the day people would just tip all the time and they just send around oh, yeah. bitcoin no problem and that that doesn't really exist as much anymore
0: I never thought of it like that so you think the 2014 bear market 2014 to like 20 20- uh, 16, or was it more of like the 2017 till now type of bear market?
1: I was thinking the 2017 until now, but basically any time that there's a bear market, it kind of takes the fun out of it. You know, people don't want to light cash on fire as much. Oh. <laughs> uh, the fun it's, was it's, still
0: there no. in 2017. It still is here today. But one of the reasons that the ICO market was able to to explode so much is because everyone was so excited about what this could bring. You think there's like a little bit of like a hesitancy in the DeFi world now? I think there's a lot of confusion in the DeFi world oh, I'm right still now. I,
1: I did a I did a poll, an informal poll, maybe about a month ago on Facebook or no on Twitter, and uh, you know the question was, do you understand DeFi? Yes, I'm a genius. No, I have no idea. And then no, but I pretend I do. And only twenty percent of the people said that they were a genius. Oh, forty percent said they had no idea, and forty percent said that they that they pretended that they understand that. So, I mean, I think I think DeFi is harder to understand, don't you think? So than the ICO thing. The ICO thing has, you know, it's likened to things that you already are kind of familiar. But it with. took the a few months. Finance is hard. It I took think. a few
0: months, maybe even a year, for people to really understand like the veracity and how crazy ICOs were in the beginning. The first few, I feel like. Um, It was very different because they were like the first few companies that launched tokens. And a lot of them are still around today. I've interviewed them, a few of them on the show, um, did so not understanding how big this ICO thing was going to eventually become. And a lot of these companies have said that if they realized how like forefront from the regulators and from the government and from everything the ICO world was going to become, they would have never even done it in the first place. Because it was so, so confusing.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, we did. So I did the world's first artist cryptocurrency, which was around the time Made Safe had just come out, and um, and Ethereum had been announced in January of 2014. But Tatiana Coin, I launched with Adam B. Levine from Let's Talk Bitcoin, um, and we launched it around, I guess, May of 2014. And it's funny to see the evolution of that idea. At the time, I got like even some crap from some people saying, you know, what is this thing? Because it wasn't as much of a speculation as it was to invest in different kinds of projects. But I like that idea for artists because it still solves a problem. Um, I would say that the challenge is, of course, getting people to donate to things right now and to on-ramp them into crypto in the first place. But, you know, we were looking to fundraise for my album, which you know, we took the money in and that's what I did. I did an album and I even used it in order to kind of spread the message of crypto. Uh, I know that Ross Ulbricht is a controversial figure for some people. Um, I certainly was skeptical when I had first heard about him in the space, but uh, after getting to know that story and understanding a little bit about the drug war and, you know, some people would posit myself included that he was uh, given such a harsh sentence because of his political views So on the album cover, I ended up using a drawing that he made of me in prison that he had given me for my birthday. And so this way I can say, look, artists need the freedom to create their own ecosystems and to collect money from their own fans, because otherwise my message might be stifled. And, you know, I've been very frustrated with the music industry for many, many years because it's like kind of pop music that doesn't really have a lot of soul seems to get a lot of funding. And then the rest of the artists are just, you know, sweeping up the little crumbs off the table and hoping to make some money. I mean, it's not a very sustainable system. Um, and right now, you know, I'd love to see like, you know, I took a lot of inspiration from the sixties and the seventies, uh, like a lot of that anti-war music. And even though the U S has been at war for a really long time, you don't hear any of that anymore. And so, um, it's been a little bit challenging, but also kind of a driver for me to get the music industry involved in crypto because I'm not here to tell them about which political views I like, even though I might slip them in there. Mm. Uh, But I want to give them the power to kind of make their own decisions and not necessarily be beholden to these larger companies. And so that's the same spirit. Like we don't want to be, you know, uh, beholden to the banksters and whatever arbitrary decisions happen with money that we don't necessarily have control over. So... Not always an easy thing to to deal with, but I think it's an important pursuit.
0: You've you've been a an artist, singer, songwriter for for a very long time. You've performed at conferences that I've been at. Um, most people in the industry know you. You have a a great uh, <clears throat> anyone can go and listen to your music on Spotify. Do you think there's like a do you think people like political related music? Like personally, when I hear a song, I listen to a lot of bluegrass, and when I hear a song and they're talking about COVID. I just turn it off because I don't want to hear about that when I'm listening to music. How is that different? And I do like Bitcoin music. How weird is that? I like listening to country music and rap music when they're singing about Bitcoin. That's a kind of an odd odd thing, right?
1: Yeah, I, I've thought a lot about that because it does seem to turn off people, right? Um, if Neil Young comes out with a song and I don't necessarily agree with his political views as much as I like Neil Young, it does kind of turn me off, but- is art always meant to please the listener Mm. if the artist is compelled to write something because their soul feels that it's the right message. I mean, they don't deserve the accolades every single time. I mean, maybe they don't get a cookie. Maybe their value exchange is something a little bit different there. Um, I, I have a cover of masters of war. That's quite popular and that's really touched a lot of different people. It might not be everybody's cup of tea, but I think that you can gain an even stronger bond with somebody if you can reach them through music. And yeah, I I definitely think it could be annoying, but with me, it's sort of part of the package, right? Uh, People kind of somewhat expect that with me just because of all the other content that I generate. And because I've, you know, been doing all those types of events for a really long time. So maybe it's less annoying. Uh, I don't know if it would turn off Hmm. regular
0: people. It probably would. Not crypto that music, but way. COVID music, I think. I agree with you.
1: Yeah, well, COVID music, it's like kitschy. You know, people sometimes yeah. they'll say, Oh, why don't you make another Bitcoin jingle, you know, a song about Ethereum. But I just don't think that it's necessarily artistically inspired. And it's gotta be something that comes uh naturally. It can't just be like, oh, I want to fill up this uh, you know, this airspace and I want to capitalize off of the popularity of cryptocurrency. Um I like when people do joke songs or they have some kind of a other approach and they want to make it into a like a themed song. Um and of course I like that better with Bitcoin, but you run the risk of just losing artistic integrity and I think that's not the easiest um line to walk.
0: I didn't even realize it was a it was a line to walk. Artistic integrity, I guess you're right, I'm thinking like poetic license, but uh, uh following like I feel like as an artist, you're kind of allowed to be able to do what you want when you want to say whatever you want, release a song that's just three minutes of nothing. I mean, that's. Yeah,
1: but then you won't have any money
0: and you won't be able to
1: eat. That's
0: that's I think the real problem,
1: right, is, you know, how do you make sure that you can survive from your music and not have to have, you know, a waitressing job and a job at a studio and another job and then this other side hustle? Because it's expensive. You know, I'm, I'm doing my album right now. I'll probably spend, I don't know, at least 25 grand on it to make it really good. And I mean, that's not a lot of money to some people, but to an artist, Huge it's a amount of money.
0: Of money. And then you have nothing
1: for it. You know, like how do you, how do you monetize that after the fact, you know, that's where I think cryptocurrencies have some, you know, opportunities afforded to artists. You know, you look at, um, the nature of a finite token, whereas previously a copy is a copy is a copy. It's just infinite. It has no extra special value because there's not a singular unit of it. Because we have blockchain now, we can add that uh, collectible nature to it. And I think once it catches on, it'll be something that's um, able to at least create some sustainability uh, in addition to creating that network for, for artists that doesn't have a middleman. Right, because so that's anytime a great, I would set up an account for yeah. MySpace or whatever, like those platforms, they own the relationship. And now you see a lot of censorship going on around that, so it becomes even less appealing to build your audience that way.
0: I've been talking about Sportsbet.io and their clubhouse, which is a huge community. When you play, when you make a bet, when you do a spin, they pay you with free hands, cash back, and bets. You can play all sorts of games, and they've been doing this for so long in a free fair and transparent way on the blockchain. Well, that's not why I'm excited today and why I'm talking to you about this, because now they're taking this community to the next level by sponsoring the Southampton football club. You're talking about millions of British football fans can now see the Bitcoin logo on the front and the sleeve of also the Walford football club. I mean, how amazing is that? You're talking about not sponsoring your company. You're talking about sponsoring Bitcoin and crypto. Millions of people around the world are now going to be seeing this and joining the sportsbet.io clubhouse to earn more points, to play games, and to be part of that community. There's really no other way that you can use and spend your crypto and then actually earn more back and be part of this whole community. So listen, make sure you guys join sportsbet.io forward slash podcast. Give them the support that they deserve because they're supporting us and me. Go play some games, get some free hands, get some free spins, and make sure you check them out and support them on the Southampton Football Club's first game. Whenever that's going to be, check it out. It's a crazy world when I tell you that everything we say, do, hear, see, sleep, everything that we uh, interact with the world is being constantly listened to, packaged up, and sold to other people without our permission. But we already know that.'t you're, you're not in your head. We know that. Why are we okay with it? We shouldn't be. We're not getting paid for any of that. Well, my sponsor, permission.io, actually a very cool company, and you could check them out at permission.io forward/charlie, they figured out a way for you to get a piece of the action because advertisers are going to be targeting you no matter what. And now you can decide, which advertisers are able to do so by granting them specific permission and then you get a piece of the action. So you're like basically earning rewards for doing what you already do online, consuming the content and sharing all your favorite information. Now, right at this minute, only these tech giants are profiting from your data. You have all these like uh, Cambridge Analytica and all these like uh, crazy files that are coming out with how our data is being used against us to spin elections and fake news and blah, blah, blah with my sponsor permission.io that is about to change if anything check it out it's so cool what they're doing and how they're doing it you can get a special sneak peek at permission.io forward slash charlie and thank you guys thank you permission team so much for sponsoring and allowing me to do what i love to do and to do this show in the past, when it comes to music, especially music has been so controversial as it, in, as its story intertwines with the story of like the internet, you know, going from vinyls to CDs to Napster to LimeWire to eDonkey to file sharing and Spotify and blah blah blah. Record labels, Taylor Swift, thirty percent. You know, everyone knows it dominates the news all the time pre COVID. And ninety nine percent of the world, I say, would agree with the artist on that. Why is it? that when it comes to, to music specifically or spoken word, the percentages that you have to pay to these content discovery platforms, and I'm and I'm bulking record labels into them because really record labels are just content discovery platforms. You know, they, record labels, when they're recording the music, yes, they're great producers and great studios, but you know that you can get a great studio and great producers, right? But a record label brings you that, discovery to the outside world and then the Spotify's and that take 30% they're also that discovery mechanism how do you get discovery if you're not paying the 30% to all these companies how do artists like how do they how, how do they get listeners
1: well that's the that's the challenge and i don't know how to solve that problem you know i went to berkeley college of music very you know famous school whatever I worked at major recording studios. I was always in a good place. I had a very good work ethic. My music is good. I'm a cute girl. Like theoretically I have like, you know, check enough boxes to make it in the realm, but it's not that easy. I, I don't know what it is. I think it's kind of a matter of, of knowing someone. And then there's that gatekeeper element. Um, I mean, everybody wants to be famous, but I think that everybody just being able to sustain their music would be a little bit better for humanity as a whole. You know, think about all the records that don't get made because an artist can't find a, a viable method of actually making money off of it. I mean, I could spend some money on marketing and try and put out the record with with that kind of a budget behind it. And I might do that. But where's the ROI on that? Well, I mean, do you get, you know, a million plays on Spotify and get a thousand dollar check back? Like, what do you do? Is that it's crazy to think about
0: a million people listening to a song and the amount of money that you'd make from that is is that trivial, but it doesn't even pay for like another another album. Um, You mentioned you mentioned the Ross story before, and it's the Ross Ulbricht story and and the takedown of Silk Road one, because what people don't remember is there like still a lot of Silk Roads around copies of it. It was open source software. There are still darknet markets. They're still around. But Silk Road 1 is such a cornerstone of Bitcoin and crypto's development that people still sweep under the rug while it's very important to talk about. And uh, the key person of that story has been sitting in a supermax for like 10 years or something like that. And it's unfortunate for a bunch of reasons. Uh, it was unfortunate for me. I wasn't able to talk about, and I didn't, uh, want to talk about Ross's story only because I was going through my own criminal thing going on at the same time. And I'm just freshly off of a three-year probation. So I, you know, I have to be very careful. And finally, now, after all these years, I can finally, uh, look into the story and you've done all the due diligence you've read all the court documents i feel like you've you've been talking to ross for years you guys write letters to each other um and um there's a whole story and so people's like politics on the drug war aside right if you if someone comes and someone actually says okay drugs are all drugs are bad they should all be illegal this is what ross did this is these are the numbers and the figures of what was sold on there. This was his punishment. Explain to everyone like the context of his punishment and what he got uh sentenced to in the context of of other uh criminals.
1: Um okay, so I was really lucky because not only have I gotten to exchange letters with Ross, but I've gone to meet with him in prison on several occasions. Um, although I would say that the secret star of that family is his mom, it's because his mom, she's yeah. gone around all around the world. We've gone on tour. And so I've heard her give the talk about Ross, uh, all the time. And, you know, at the end of the day, his, uh, charges, none of them were violent. They were all nonviolent charges. There was confirmed rampant, uh, evidence tampering and corruption in the case. Two of the main um, oh yeah investigators went- uh, were given you know relatively short prison sentences. They were extorting money from the site, along with blackmailing people and causing all sorts of a ruckus. Um, when Ross went into trial, they didn't allow a lot of the uh, testimony to even take place. For example, Andreas Antonopoulos was going to testify, and they wouldn't even allow him to do so. And so they sort of uh, you know, they kind of railroaded him quite a bit. Very quickly. And then too. what was yeah. Um, but at the end, you know, when she was giving him the uh sentence, she cited his political views as part of the reason for her sentence. And now you've got the second Silk Road that was busted. And that guy was didn't even serve any jail time. I think it was less than a year if that. Um, and then everybody subsequently has not gotten such a harsh sentence. And so Ross, you're right, he's in his supermax now. I think he's in a slightly less uh, restricted prison, but he's allowed one hour of sunshine a week for months now. And they've essentially been in uh, solitary confinement across all these different prisons, right? Because of COVID. Um, yeah, it's I just been worse for the
0: prisoners. No one realizes that the inmates right now, I have friends emailing me from prison saying, yeah, our whole unit just got coronavirus this week. No one cares about We care about throwing them in. We don't care about what happens to them once they're inside.
1: Yeah, well, I would say that there's an element of slavery in it. I mean, that sounds a little bit overstated, but when you are able to make such a profit off of people who are in prison, it's easy to discard them from society. Oh, they're bad. They're in jail. That's where bad people go. And so nobody's there to necessarily advocate for them. But I think the mark of a civilized society is to treat your prisoners with civility and humanity, um, you know, even if they've been bad or whatnot.
0: I can't Um, have said that better myself. A mark of a civilized. It's so brilliant. That should be on a T-shirt.
1: Yeah. Well, I don't know if that shirt's going to go over. Right. Because people (sighs) are they don't they don't get it. Like when I was in prison, I would see. Families uh with the son or the daughter, you know, crawling all over the daddy. And then the mom has to drag them off of the parent, you know, and and uh when she's leaving, she says, Oh, you know, my kid, they used to get straight A's, now they're getting D's and Fs. And it's like, yeah, because their father isn't home. Mm. You know, why there's no real um uh, like I, I find myself becoming more conservative as I get older because You really do need that father in the household if you can do it. And if you've got all these men in prison and you're keeping them in jail, somebody's making money off of them, then you're reselling their labor. You're paying them 10 cents an hour. You're getting $10 an hour for them. I mean, there's a lot of things that are working against um, the interests of the people. I mean, Ross, maybe people don't like what he did, but people were there voluntarily on that site and there was no violent crime that he was accused of. So why does he have to be in there for double life plus 40 years? It's absolutely crazy. I mean, you know, Lynn is is working toward getting a pardon or some kind of commutation of the sentence. Um, but I don't really know what this, it's a what m- this president will do.
0: At the end of the day, though, um, I think in, uh, who knows what the president will do, but criminal justice, and a lot of people agree with this, criminal justice is not just about uh, and this is not my belief. This is the belief of the uh, powers that be. The criminal justice system uh, is not just about uh, punishing the uh, the person who did the crime, but it's also to act as a deterrent, prevent other people from doing the same types of crimes. And in fact, it's one of the reasons that the judge gave me any time. He even said, I have to give you time as a deterrent. Um, and I understand that It took me many years to understand that. But even on that argument, what is that saying about, do you think it has an adverse effect? Like if he had gotten 40 years, right? People would say, wow, he's not gonna get out until he's 70 years old. And then he's got to live a life out being 70 years old saying, shit, I just wasted basically my whole life. That's more real than saying, oh, you got two life sentences and you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, there's th- no rehabilitation incentive,
0: is what I guess I'm getting at. There's no, when there's no incentive to rehabilitate yourself inside, then when you're about to commit the crime, you're just saying, fuck it, I'm going to jail anyways. What does it matter? But if there's like a hesitancy in saying, you know, I'm going to go to jail, I'm going to have to go and make myself better, I'm going to spend 30 years there, and then I'm going to get out and have to be a pro member social society, I feel like it'll make people hesitate a little bit on yeah, committing a crime. I'm,
1: Yeah. I think another thing that people don't necessarily take into account that was kind of new for me to think about is that theoretically the judge should be trying to make the victims whole. Right. Yeah. And the state is the one who gets the restitutions in a lot of these uh, cases. You know, the victim isn't really happy with the outcome and obviously the prisoner isn't happy with the outcome and all of the spoils just go to the government. And I don't necessarily think that they're always entitled to that. Um and it causes a lot of bad incentives, you know, you look at something like civil asset forfeiture where um the amount of civil asset forfeiture that goes on is more I just paid my... than all all theft combined. And I mean that's terrible. <laughs> like I, had a, I just
0: a saw... $950,000 civil forfeiture and uh that I agreed to and I think the because that was the total amount, my profits were like $15,000 but I don't want to bore everyone with the details, but yeah, I paid it. And it's funny that you mentioned that. I think the government, told me one of the only people that actually paid their civil asset forfeiture in full because usually it's in the billions. Like, I know people that are appealing their $60 billion asset forfeiture. It's, it really, if you look at the Fifth Amendment of our Constitution, it's like unreasonable fines or whatever. I mean, it's blatant the criminal justice system is breaking that. I mean, you, if you're giving someone jail time, I don't understand why there are fees attached to that because the jail time should theoretically be paying back your societal, like, debt. But I understand if you have victims that you stole from, that's like another, that's restitution. But you're right. Like, there's a lot of things that need to change. Like, wh- who's going to, is a Biden presidency going to change that? Is it Trump presidency going to change that? What's, where is that going to change? Who's going to change don't think that? that? Mike Novogratz is changing that because guys like him put his money to change criminal justice from private people.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure where the incentive is for the government to to really fix that situation other than a semblance of, you know, humanity. And you don't really get that with politicians, right? They're not really that concerned about doing the right thing. I I don't know. I mean, we're at a precipice right now where the country is just so corrupt. Uh, It's hard to imagine any kind of revising being sufficient. It almost seems like it needs to be. I mean, it would be nice if we would just stick to the Constitution, but that's kind of out the window a long time ago. However people feel about COVID, a lot of our Bill of Rights have essentially been eviscerated during this time in the interest of public health, and nobody's even really pushing back on that. Uh, I I don't understand that. I did did an interview with uh, Ian Smith, the guy who owns Attila's Gym in Jersey. You may have seen him. He's got this really crazy beard. Oh, is he
0: the one who got into the big fight about keeping his gym open? Yep. Oh, you have and some good so, guests on your show. The Tatiana show is so people can listen to it. Okay, cool.
1: Yeah. Thanks. I was really excited to do that show because I had been following along the case and he has almost half a million dollars in fines. Um, what? Half a million. Yeah, I know. And now they're going in and seizing all of his money. So I'm, I'm airing the show uh, tomorrow. So I have to get him a Bitcoin wallet because I'm like, Listen, they can't. Are not that I'm donations. encouraging him to do anything sketchy, but, you know, if you have Bitcoin, nobody can really take it as easily. And I don't know how he's supposed to pay that. Um, and every court that they go into, this is obviously just abuse by the governor, but they just keep, you know, confirming it because the judiciary branch is also compromised. Yeah. So I don't know how to how to deal with that. I mean, the New York court system is super corrupt. It's been known for being really corrupt for a long time. I don't know if having new justices is going to do anything, do you?
0: No, I don't know how you solve that problem, but I'm I guess I'm I'm okay enough to say that I'm not smart enough to be the one to figure that problem out, but I do recognize that there is, you know, a problem with with all with with the way our whole incentive system works now. I just feel like a lot of these things uh need to be changed, uh, how we represent, how us as people are represented in our government needs to change. I think people don't care enough about their local politics. They focus too much on the presidential elections and people, uh, are afraid to leave the top box out. Like, yeah, I'm a big fan of voting. Of course. However, if you're, if you're struggling with voting for president, Don't not vote because your city commission at the end of the day is who's defining your city bonds, your roads, your property taxes, your child care. All that stuff is being done not by the president. It's being done by your local city commissioner who lives down the block from you. So that's what I want to tell people.
1: But are people really informed enough to be making some of these decisions? Like we have some ballots in Jersey, you know, vote for this. Yes or no.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. have The citizen initiatives.
1: Yeah, I don't even know what the heck they're saying uh, some of them. So, you know, you opt out of them but you feel like you have to leave a mark. So, I don't know. I mean, we've been seeing there's just such an information war this year. I mean, this is like the number one information war yeah, where things are kind of getting down the memory hole. Uh, I don't know how much more faith people are going to have in any of these things because it's just become very topsy-turvy, you know. Yes. Trump is getting like a lot of power because he's saying law and order and it's like what does that even mean
0: anymore i have no idea but i will i do want to say this i want to give everyone some some good advice from you and that is here's some good statistics that if if uh here we go some good stats of this everyone is complaining the middle class is dying and i've been tweeting about it the k-shaped recovery the haves have more the have-nots have less however some bright side news of that is that The amount of new self-employment LLCs that have been created in our country has almost tripled this year, meaning that the middle class, I believe, is alive and well and growing in the gig economy. You're gonna see a huge amount of people now. Everyone is side hustles, businesses. People are realizing you don't have to have one job. You can do a lot of different things, manage your time a lot better, and live a better quality of life. So you've been doing it for pretty much your whole life, your whole adult working life. What advice do you have for people who are kind of uh, now getting into this world there, they lost their job and they're not going to go back to corporate America. They're going to have a job or corporate world. Cause the show is only 40% listened to Americans. So globally, what advice do you have for people that are a little nervous about now starting their work career life on their own?
1: Well, you know, I think they should be nervous because right before COVID uh, something that I was following was AB five which is, I guess, a law in California where they're trying to limit people in the gig economy. So that they wanted to basically force Uber and um, Lyft to start paying people as W-2 and not as 1099. Oh, yeah. And so they decimated the California gig economy. They were actually looking to bring the same kind of law to other states like New Jersey so I was almost thinking when you said there's a new um eruption of LLCs being formed, I wonder if it's not people just simply trying to comply with that kind of a rule. Um I, I don't know if it's such a great time right now to to start a business because it's so unstable. So I guess if people have the you know the stable backing and they have some money saved, that's one thing. But if anything, honestly, I just tell people buy Bitcoin, <laughs> you know, because if you can put in a couple grand into Bitcoin now, that could be enough to start your own business in six months or in a few years. And uh, I think it's it's important for emergencies. Like, I'm feeling a little apocalyptic lately. It's
0: almost the opposite. Yeah, I am feeling a little bit of po- apocalyptically now, too, with, with, you know, buying more Bitcoin and everything like that. Uh, and I, I, I'm going to agree with you and say that right now you're seeing, like, millions of people that are out of work. These are very smart people not let go because of their brain capacity, but simply because of they work in an industry that you can't do business anymore because of COVID, these people are also going to go start their own companies. So you're, you're, you're in a more saturated world today of people starting their own businesses. So that's, I will agree with you and say, be careful on that. Um, But uh, yeah, it's a scary world that we live in today, but there are a lot of positives that come out of it. There's so many good positives. And I think that information and if, if anything, the one thing that you and I have been preaching over these years has been what? Just like financial, political, and just literacy, thinking for yourselves, don't be a sheep. How many times have you preached that message to people? Do you think with COVID now, we've turned that corner with people finally starting to think for themselves?
1: I think people are definitely out there searching for more information, um, but I wonder if there hasn't been enough time to... Mm kind of swoop in with more propaganda, right? Um, I think of 2012 as this amazing time. You had the revolution, Levolution, all these Ron Paulers, we were going nuts. It was great. And then I felt like the Trump message actually hijacked some of those elements. And then it kind of made it a little bit more like Republican light, whatever Republican means these days, which is kind of flexible in itself. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm not really sure like if the answers people are, are waking up, but I'm not sure that they're necessarily going to the right answers. I haven't seen the. I don't know if you've seen the movie, the social dilemma. Have you seen it?
0: I purposely don't watch it because I don't want to watch it right now. I'm scared, yeah. but I know I'm going to watch it this week. Like I see it there and we're, we're watching Emily in Paris. Which is <laughs> that the sounds best. a lot more fun. Honestly. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Okay, I'll check it out. But that's
0: really a great show, by the way. That and Yellowstone. Love Yellowstone.
1: Oh, really? I'm glad to get some recommendations because I'm yeah. kind of bored of. of what are a lot we watching the, right the now? Now we're watching
0: stuff. a show that I'm not going to talk about because I'm going to get made fun of. So yeah. Why? What's it? What is no, it? Now called called I'm like really Dixie. intrigued. I'm watching. Sh- we're watching shows that just get us <laughs> out of the world today. Like I'm watching the most Hallmarky shows that just make me cry because I don't want to think about COVID or the world. And it's scary, even crypto scary. It's all scary. The world that we live in is a very scary world today.
1: Yeah, but there's also that kind of elation, right? I mean, we are potentially on the brink of a great awakening. You'll see a lot of you people so? really pushing back and questioning the main mainstream narrative.
0: Oh wow. But, that's um, a good that's a good that's a good way to end. That's a very like positive thought right there. Tatiana, uh You've enlightened my listeners and they can listen to your show, the Tatiana Show. How else can they read your musings, your writings, your thoughts?
1: Uh, sure. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, I have a new album coming out so people can stick to TatianaMorose.com. And then if they want something that's a little bit softer side of crypto, I have a crypto relationship show. So if oh, you ever want to come on that, it's called yes. Proof of Love. <laughs> it's very funny.
0: Yes, I need to come on. That's that's such an important show. Yes, that's a great idea. Proof of love. That's a I love that. Yeah, please book me as a guest asap. I want to be on that show.
1: We'd love it. Yeah, absolutely. That's so um, you know, if you guys both want to come on, you're welcome to. We will. To do, yeah, so. at the same
0: time for sure. Yeah, thank you. I
1: like to I like to highlight stories of relationships because in the space it's become so tech focused and work focused. It's like if you don't water all of the plants in your garden, you're going to get weeds. It's going to get out of balance. So. I'm trying to make sure that all the plants are getting enough attention.
0: I love that. I love that. Thank you so much. And I'll talk to you later.
1: All right. Thanks so much. Bye, everybody.